today on Geekdeming Powers. And another issue of science fiction, it's not really about human beings. It's not about people. It's not about feelings. It's not about emotions. Good science fiction engages your emotions, but it ultimately appeals to your intellect. And for many people, it's, you know, it's a real barrier because they cannot cross it. They want to be engaged with people and not ideas. But if your mind is open to ideas, you will love science fiction, even if you have never read it before. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson, and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Geekdom Empowers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it's us, who make up almost all of the geek world. And by talking to each person, by hearing their stories, Geekdom Empowers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge Geekverse quilt. Today's guest is Ilana Gomel, an author of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Lately, there's a lot of talk about writing and creating from the underrepresented uh, place from which you come, wherever you come from. I think that two-thirds of Geekdom in Power's episodes are either about that or touch that in some way, whether we're talking about Latino superheroes, uh, science fiction fantasy, Italian and world science fiction fantasy, uh, whether we talk to creators from different countries in Africa or about a comic book where only blacks have superpowers, representation of non-binary or female authors in Spain, or we check out the science fiction fantasy scene in the Caribbean. We've done all those things and many more. Representation of who we are matters. And yet, personally, I've had the feeling I don't belong to the place uh, from which I come. Uh, in the place where I was born, Israel, the place where I moved to for a few years, the United States. My family's origins, various Jewish places in uh, uh, in Europe, I was never ever connected to any of that. Not to the ideals, not to the traditions, not to anything. And today, Lana talks about that in the beginning and at the end of her episode, and has a very interesting perspective uh, about this. I think you'll find it interesting. She also talks about many things and has interesting per- perspectives about all of it. Uh, so this is a fun interview. It's going to make you feel, and it's going to make you think, just like good science fiction. Enjoy. So tell me a little bit about your origin story. Uh, My origin story is very complicated, as all good stories are. So I was born in the USSR. Uh, So I was born in a fictional country because the country no longer exists. And a lot of people would like to forget that it ever existed. People in uh, Russia itself and Ukraine, because I was born in Ukraine, but also all over the world for complicated reasons. In any case, After that, I moved to Israel, and I was professor of English literature at Tel Aviv University, and now I live in California. So basically, this is like a very short uh, precede of my of my life. So as but in the meantime, I also lived in London. I lived in China for a while in Hong Kong. I taught in Italy. Uh, I taught in in Hong Kong. So I have lived all over the world, 
So I'm one of those people who have no home anywhere and who are at home everywhere precisely because we are um, eternal wanderers. That's, it's um, very so strange it's, because yeah. I feel the same thing. I only grew up in two places. I was in Israel and in the United States during my teenage years. And I feel I don't belong anywhere. I never felt I belonged here or there. That's how I feel even today, even though I live full time in California now, but that's fine. I love it. I love this feeling of not belonging because you can always stand aside a little bit and look at your country, your surrounding or your place from a different perspective. Uh, it's called defamiliarization or estrangement in uh, uh, science fiction theory. And this is how I feel. I am a science, I'm a character in a science fiction movie which is my life <laughs> and you're the heroine of course you're the heroine yes, of your story of course. No. wait let's talk about wait science fiction theory says this is not something that exists in the world it's only in science fiction uh it exists in the world but the whole idea of defamiliarization or estrangement it comes from science fiction theory but i believe it can explain you know people like you and i People who are always strangers, we're all, always strangers in a strange land, and this is how we define ourselves, and this is how we see ourselves. So yes, I, the idea, the concept comes from science fiction theory, but as I said, I think it applies to the real world as well. And the world we live in, like apart from you and I, the world we live in is a science fictional world today. Yes, I live in the future. I always, you know, this is the I was looking forward to this future for a long while. And it's totally. not all here yet. There's still more stuff I know is coming. Totally, yeah, I agree. So what is your fiction, what is your origin in science fiction and fantasy and horror? Like, when did you start liking that? Oh, oh, since I remember myself, or even before, the first book, like the first book I read from cover to cover that I remember was a book by Jules Verne in Russian translation, of course, mm -hmm. because I lived in the USSR at the time. And I said, this is me. This is what I want to be when I grow up. I want to write Journey to the Center of the Earth, something. And then I discovered H.G. Wells, and then I discovered more contemporary science fiction. But I took a detour because I always wanted to be a writer of fiction. This was my dream of science fiction specifically. But, uh, you know, um, being a writer of science fiction doesn't pay the bills. And I had two small kids by this time. In any case, so I took a detour and I became a professor of English literature. And my academic field is, in fact, science fiction. This is what I have done my entire life, teaching science fiction theory, talking about science fiction. But writing science fiction, like seriously, it only started, I would say, about 12 years ago. My first story was published in, um, yeah, 15 years ago, man, right? uh, 2007. So um, as I said, I took a long detour uh, being a academic, you know, what they say, those who can write and those who cannot talk about uh, writing. So uh, I wanted to prove that I can do both. And I have. Can I ask about, like, before we get to the stories themselves, mm -hmm. uh, it's really interesting to me. Do you teach science fiction to people who don't like science fiction? 
because there are people who you know have a great dislike to science fiction yes i have i have in every seminar i teach on science fiction there would be a small group of people who simply dislike science fiction so when i ask why you in this class mostly it's because it fits uh you know the schedule so it's so all the reason ah, so yeah. i try yeah so I try to, uh, but it's difficult because you have to speak to two different audiences. And my belief really is that people who like science fiction are special people, we're chosen people. Okay, I, my, all of my friends, my husband, everybody, those are people who like science fiction and read science fiction, who enjoy science fiction. So it's difficult to teach science fiction to people who dislike it on principle. I would say it's impossible. But you also have people who are simply not familiar. You know, young people who just grew up in an environment where science fiction is considered to be pulp literature, it's not serious, whatever, and they have been discouraged from reading science fiction. So almost every time I teach science fiction, afterwards I get an email from a student saying, wow, I thought I didn't like science fiction, but now I see I do. So this is the greatest reward a teacher can have. Oh, it sounds nice. And, and even in, among students, you know, some people have read a lot of science fiction and some people have read completely different type of science fiction and have different likes and dislikes and different levels of knowledge. How do you manage that? Oh, sure. But as I said, science fiction is a way of life. It's a way of understanding the world. So obviously nobody can read everything. And many people come uh, to... Uh, studying about science fiction, you know, thinking Star Wars is science fiction, mm -hmm. which it is. So, um, but, but if they're open-minded and they start reading texts which are assigned, which are not something that, you know, most people read for pleasure, but more um, challenging and more strenuous and more demanding, and they often begin liking those texts better, in fact, that they like, you know, the kind of more pulp science fiction. So once you are open-minded enough to, to realize what science fiction can do for you and how it can change your understanding of the world and how we live in a science fiction world, if you're open-minded, the level of knowledge doesn't matter. You can always read more, you can always watch more, you know, it's mm -hmm. just the, the, the question of being open-minded enough. And what kind of, like, uh, I'm sure most of the listeners don't know what, What's in science fiction theory? Like, uh, can you give like a rough? Uh... Yes. So, for example, as I said, uh, more uh, most people confuse science fiction movie and science fiction literature, mm -hmm. and those are not the same. So, you know, Star Wars is a great movie or great franchise by now, but it's not exactly science fiction. So, when I teach science fiction, I begin with classics like H.G. Wells. Uh, Heinlein, um, I do Stanislav Lem a lot, you know, because he's, he's the, one of the greatest geniuses in science fiction. And I do more contemporary science fiction, like Ted Chiang or Chishin Liu, or Chinese writers. Um, so science fiction, real science fiction is intellectually very challenging because you have to have some kind of scientific background, but also to understand, uh, you know, challenging and complicated concepts. 
And another issue of science fiction, it's not really about human beings. It's not about people. It's not about feelings. It's not about emotions. Good science fiction engages your emotions, but it ultimately appeals to your intellect. And for many people, it's, you know, it's a real barrier because they cannot cross it. They want to be engaged with people and not ideas. But if your mind is open to ideas, you will love science fiction, even if you have never read it before. I, many of my stories are actually about emotions, which you can only reach, talk about through science fiction. Uh, but, you know. Well, I mean, you cannot escape emotion engagement, obviously. Mm -hmm. But uh, so far we have been talking about science fiction, but I teach, also teach speculative literature, which is wider than science fiction. It involves fantasy. It involves horror. I write a lot of horror. And horror yeah. is, um, you know, appeals to very primal emotions. This is what the name means. It's horror, right? Mm -hmm. So there are different kinds of of speculative literature. So when you see this abbreviation SF, uh, most people understand it as science fiction, but it is in fact speculative fiction. And when you write, you write uh, horror, you write science fiction, how do you, uh, um, like whenever you write one of those, that serves a side of you that isn't served by the other ones, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So um, you also have like dark science fiction, which is my favorite genre, which is a kind of hybrid genre. Think about the movie Alien. This is a mm -hmm. classic example of dark science fiction. And I love this genre because it allows you to uh, deliver a kind of emotional punch, you know, mostly horrifying, but also engage with really uh, important and, and challenging ideas. So you're absolutely right in the sense that good literature has to have an emotional aspect. Otherwise, you know, the magistrate will just read popular science and scientific books, but it also has to engage with, with your intellect. Yeah, and what is it, like, as we get to your stories, I want to, I just want to establish mm -hmm. the base. Uh, oh, yeah. uh, what is it about fantasy, for example, that, that you like? So fantasy is interesting. It's an interesting genre. So I'm now editing in my capacity as an academic. I'm now wearing two hats, like right, academic and a writer. So uh, we're editing a, a collection of articles on international fantasy. And so we had to define what fantasy is. And fantasy is different from science fiction. So fantasy creates a, a complete world which is different from the world we live in. And your readers can enter this world and have you know, adventures, have whatever you want to do there. But it's, uh, it is a world which is profoundly different from the world we live in. So it's both very interesting and very challenging because it's difficult to create a world from scratch. Okay? When you write horror, you're based in the world in which you live. But in fantasy, you just have to, you, you have a complete freedom, do whatever you want. And it's both challenging and problematic. I don't like what's called epic fantasy, you know, like Robert Jordan kind of thing, sure. where you have like endless, endless, like uh, wheel of time and it just goes on and on and on and on. And after a while, it just gets like, yeah, this is just boring. Like, what, what is it? 
So, but there are some. Maybe that's the writing, though. That's the writing, I keep thinking. Uh, it's both it's both the writing and the world because once he creates the writer creates this world it may be very interesting but then the writer just keeps you know adding more adventures within the same world and after a while it's like okay whatever yeah. i know all about it um so but there is some amazing fantasy written today and again interestingly enough in my view most of it is written outside the u.s in non-English speaking countries, Spanish fantasy, Greek fantasy, Italian fantasy, stuff like that. Well, give, give us some names, like who do you read and like? Um, uh, so, uh, for example, you have like, a, a, we talked about Chinese science fiction. So right. writers like Qi Xin Liu, for example, is stunning, but he, he writes um, science fiction. But um, you have like some really interesting. So there is a guy called Manfredi, the Enchanted Manfredi, I believe. He's a, a an Italian fantasy writer, and it is fantasy, the same kind of fantasy we read today. We read like you know Harry Potter, whatever. But it's different because his worlds are different from orcs and elves and you know mm -hmm. like. So if you're interested, I can just send you, you know, whole list of. Uh, send. I want to interview those people, also to read those their books. Uh, yes, I want to introduce people to writers that they don't know. Okay, um, that would be would be great. I I know some of those people even by posting, so I would be happy to send you. I'd be very very thankful. Yes, mm -hmm. thank you. Um, so you got your first story published about 15 years ago. Yeah. And today, like on Facebook, I see every week I got my, I got a story accepted. I got this book being published every week. Something is happening. And, uh, that is an amazing, uh, um, rise. Like, like you got there very fast in 15 years. That's fast. Uh, thank you so much. I personally don't consider this fast. I wish I started writing, you know, seriously writing when I was in my 20s, which I did not, you know, as they saw the kids and bills and, and, you know, doing my PhD and eventually teaching. So, yeah, it's, it's hard, but it's also very exciting because I believe today was the rise of social media and a lot of people badmouth social media, but we have amazing opportunities which didn't exist when I was in my 20s, you know, to publish, to reach your readers directly, to, to engage, you know, I know you do all kinds of interesting um, transmedia projects, which I don't do, so you, you have like graphic novels, and you're doing a podcast, so I think we, today we have many more opportunities than, you know, writers had even like 20 years ago, let alone, you know. 30, 40, 50. I think it's very weird. I read uh, an interview with Gordon Val Gelder, who was the editor of uh, Fantasy mm -hmm. and Science Fiction, from the mid 90s, like not even mid 90s, like the late 90s. And he was in the interview, he was at a loss about what to do about this internet thing. Mm -hmm. Like there are some magazines being published, science fiction stories being published sometimes for free, sometimes, you know sometimes paying, and he didn't know how to um, translate the, the, the fact that he's doing an old world kind of, you know, magazine 
and how to get this to, to be done. And I understand that it was very shocking, but at the same time, he's surrounded by science fiction authors and writers. And mm -hmm. it is shocking and, and shocking to me that the, the, the whole slew of science fiction authors and editors couldn't figure out what to do. And they were very late to the party when something new happened. No, totally. I, I agree. And uh, this is the inertia which exists in all fields, in, in the academy, definitely, but also in publishing, also in writing. But now, so in this sense, it was kind of fortunate for me that I started late because I could come already when, you know, the internet and online magazines and, and publishers and Facebook groups and so on were already rising. So um, I felt, you know, immediately fell into these new mediums. Um, but yeah, there is a, a great deal of inertia and it's really problematic. Now, the problem with this proliferation of new media is that it's almost too much, you know what I mean? Like you can spend your entire life on Twitter and, and, uh, and Facebook and you need time to write and you need, so you need to be targeted and you need to, find your niche in this publishing ecosystem, but still it's also great opportunities, you know? And, uh, and I think writers are taking, and also the advantage of being in touch with people that you normally wouldn't be in touch with. So I'm a member of, um, it's called the Denver Horror Collective. It's a collective of writers, horror writers who live in Denver. Now you might ask why Denver, you know, I'm in California, I've been to Denver maybe once in my life because we met, you know, we published in, in the same anthology. And so now those people are, you know, my, my community. And this is great because it wouldn't be possible like 20 years ago. You know? Yeah. And what kind of, uh, you know, when you, you do stuff, um, you know, in social media, and you talk to the people who read your books and stories, what, uh, what kind of reactions are you getting? Uh, I get very positive reactions most of the time. Um, so, you know, social media can be the wild west, as you know, and, you know, you say something that people don't like, and Twitter moms come for you, but I get, I normally get very positive reactions and, you know, interesting. And as I said, I connect with fellow writers, people that I, I would not be able to connect otherwise, you know, sure. who live in, uh, I don't know, South America or, or uh, Europe somewhere or whatever. And it's very, very useful. It's how you create your network and your network no longer, is no longer limited to where you live. Mm -hmm. And can you talk like to people who haven't read uh, your stories, books, what kind, can you talk about like a few of them and you know, what's in them? Yes. So my latest, so like recently, like, and I mean really recently in the last two, two months, I published a novella and a short novel. And they're very different. And I'll talk about the novella first because it's my favorite project. It's mm. called Little Sister. And it takes place in the USSR that never existed. So as I said, I was born in this fictional country. And as an academic, it struck me how many books 
and I mean speculative fiction books, are uh, connected to the Third Reich, to Nazi Germany. You know, thousands and thousands and thousands, you can think about them yourselves, and how few are about the USSR. And yet, in its own way, the USSR was just as monstrous, right, as Nazi Germany, just as strange and appalling and horrifying as Nazi Germany. And yet there is this pole of amnesia, yeah. uh, you know, historical amnesia uh, around it for complicated reasons, which I don't want to go into now. Stalin so was I fun, thought, yeah. Uh, Stalin was fun. Well, yeah, no, no less so than Hitler. You know, yes. like if we have all those books written about, people are fascinated by atrocity. Mm -hmm. And it's okay. It's okay to be fascinated by atrocity because we have to understand why it happened. We have to understand why the Holocaust happened. And this is why so many books are written about it. But what about the terror? What about the USSR itself? Why, how did it exist? Why did it collapse so suddenly? So Little Sister is sat in a kind of a fantastic USSR uh, which is populated by monsters, among other things. So, you know, in the Soviet discourse, like traitors, whatever, were labeled with all kinds of monstrous labels. Now, what if those labels were taking, taken literally and people really transformed into, you know, creatures, vampires, mm. um, kind of zombie-like creatures, whatever, when they were labeled as enemies. So this is the premise of the novella, and it takes place in 1943 during the Second World War. But again, it's a Second World War like you've never seen it before. And it's a USSR like you've never seen it before. So this is one, and I'm, I received some very good uh, you know, reviews and responses. And I'm very proud of it. And I'm actually working on a novel which will be set in the same world, but different, you know, slightly different from the novella. And then I published this short fantasy novel called Black House. And this is quite different because it's a classic fantasy. I just told you how much I don't like classic fantasy, but then here it is, I wrote classic fantasy novel. And I mean, by classic, I mean, it's set in like in a uh, separate world, which is not connected to our world in any way. Um, it's not a medieval world. I don't really like medieval fantasy, but it's more like uh, what's called Gaslam you know, like quasi-Victorian kind of thing. Mm. And, um, or a little bit of steampunk maybe. Um, and it's just like, I wrote it for fun and I hope my readers will experience this as, it's not funny, it's dark, you know, mm -hmm. as monsters and creatures and stuff, but it is, you know, it's pure fantasy. It has no political subtext. It's just, it's just fun, you know. Um, so this is, those are two of my publications that came out like literally within the last two months. And now I'm working on a collection of gothic fairy tales. So I didn't mention, but fairy tales are my second favorite genre after science fiction. I love fairy tales. And so I decided to write a cycle of fairy tales, which are revisions of, you know, classic Green Brothers kind of fairy tales. Um, and it's hopefully coming out, you know, within, again, within a couple of months. So, you know, I'm keeping busy. And as I said, I'm working on another novel, which is a um, 
expansion of little sisters set in a, in the same kind of world and the same kind of fantastic USSR. Uh, I call it Soviet punk, and I think we need more of it. Yeah, just saying Soviet punk sounds interesting. Um, <laughs> Thank you. And I, I, I want, you know, that if some of the listeners want to find some of your stories, like, can you recommend, can you talk it, like, give teasers about stuff that people can, can find? Yes, so, uh, you know, all of my books are on Amazon, obviously, and I have my own website with all the links. So, in addition to Little Sister, which is uh, right now in Kindle Unlimited, um, and uh, Black House, which is also out on Amazon, uh, I also have uh, several novels published like a couple of years ago. So um, there is a novel called The Cryptids. And again, it's all on, on Amazon. So if you're interested, I can send you all the, uh, all the links. And The Cryptids is once again, is something else entirely. It's a dark science fiction um, with monsters because all of my stories, no matter what they're about, they have monsters, otherwise I wouldn't try them. Um, and it's set in California, and it's a kind of um, biological horror, sort of invasion of California by an alternative timeline of evolution, and all those cryptids, you know, monsters are coming into uh, the Bay Area. So I had great fun writing it because I live in the Bay Area, and I could just imagine all those creatures, you know, crawling all over our streets. Um, and then I have a novel called uh, The Hungry Ones. And this is a very dark fantasy, dark to the point of probably being classified as horror. Um, it's in a separate world from ours, but it deals with issues which I'm familiar with from, um, you know, from history, such as uh, famine, starvation, um, um, totalitarian dictatorship, uh, things of this nature, uh, cities, relationship between the city and the countryside, but it's all set in a, in a very, in a separate, you know, um, distinct world. I, I really like this novel. As I said, it's very dark, but um, I think, you know, if your listeners are interested, all of this, all of those novels that I have, you know, um, I have an author page on Amazon, so they can check it all out. That's cool. We'll put like a bunch of uh, uh, links uh, yeah. in the show notes. <laughs> is there like, what is the craziest thing you ever wrote? Like completely out there or different? <laughs> Actually, it would be Black House, um, this recent fantasy novel, because it started as a short story. And the premise of this novel is that there is a locked house in the middle of a city and nobody can enter it. And all kinds of you know, strange rumors are swirling around this house. And I'm like, oh, it's a great idea, but it's just going nowhere. Like it's, you know, it's something, it's almost like a dream. So I wrote a short story. And then it just nagged at me. I couldn't let it go. I said, okay, I will expand it into a novella. So it became a novella. I sent it out and the publisher accepted it. And um, they said, it's a great novella, but it's like, makes no sense. Could you explain it a little bit? What is going on? Mm -hmm. um, so I started expanding it to explain what is going on. And it expanded 
people know. And so I feel even today, like, how did it come to be a novel? You know what I mean? It was supposed to be just a short story. So this is, you know, this is pretty out there. Um, and I have other things, like, for example, one of my recent stories uh, was published in a, so every year you have a collection called the best horror of the year. It's edited by Ellen Batlow. She's an amazing, amazing editor. And one of my stories is in the latest one, it's called the best horror 13. And um, it's about uh, my travel to Svalbard in Norway. I went for a conference to Svalbard and let me tell you, it was an experience, you know, five days of night in the middle of uh, Arctic winter. So I wrote a story about it. And it was just like about basically my experiences of being for five days, not seeing the sun, what it's like. I wrote a story about it and voila, it was accepted. And now it was reprinted in the best of horror. So again, like the best things you write, sometimes you surprise yourself. You just don't know. You started as a, as a kind of lark, which, you know, just because, like, why not? I have this idea. And then it grows on you. And other things, which I started with, a, you know, with like great hopes, just kind of fit around because you don't know what to make of it. Yeah. And speaking of Ellen Datlow, what is it like to be edited by Ellen Datlow? Great. What, she's like, what's the I mean, she's really amazing. She's really meticulous. I mean, she approached me. She saw the story was first published in a different volume called uh, After Sundown. Um, and she read it and she, she liked it. So she just approached me and said, you know, I'm like, yeah, of course, would be only too happy. Um, a great editor is the editor who knows what you want to say better than you know it yourself. So she sent it back to me with, you know, with obvious uh, revisions and suggestions and whatever. But I really felt that she understood exactly what I was trying to do. And she didn't interfere with my vision. The editing was you know, linguistic and whatever, just what normal editing is. Um, and I just, and I look, I, I have the volume with me now and I looked at the other stories because I didn't know what was published and it's just an amazing selection. I'm very, very proud to be part of this selection because some of the names I've known, you know, some people I taught, I taught their work and I didn't know them personally. And now we find ourselves together under the same cover. So um, yeah, it's being a good editor is an amazing gift. I don't know if I have it, even though I'm editing a bunch of academic collections now, but she's like an editor par excellence. That's great. Is there anything yeah. uh, you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover? Oh, um, well, I think like in general, when you look at where, um, speculative fiction is going. I think, you know, you and I were started by talking about how we're both strangers in a strange land and how mm -hmm. we don't really belong. I think like me, you you write in a language that's not your mother tongue, right? Yes. Right in English. And I write it's not like it's my third language, right? Because it's called Russian and Hebrew. 
And I think we're the future, seriously. When I was doing research for my book on international fantasy, I look at people, you know, who are writing today, and the best and most interesting writers are writers living outside, you know, this Anglo-American hegemony, but also sometimes writers write in English, even though it's not their native tongue. I just read an amazing Icelandic fantasy uh, by a guy whose name I will butcher if I try to pronounce, so I won't, but he's like fabulous and he wrote it in English. It's not his mother tongue, he's an Icelandic guy. Um, so I think speculative fiction is becoming far more international rather than Anglo-American focused than it was before. And it's becoming more um, global, you know, global, not just in the sense that it's written in all kinds of places, but also global in the sense that it embodies a kind of global um, mindset or global sensitivity which is not limited, you know, specifically to one place and, and, and one country and one national tradition. So I'm very optimistic about the future, despite the fact that, you know, we've been sitting in quarantine more or less for the last two years. Sure. And, uh, but yeah. I think this is, this is a chance, actually, since this is your attitude to talk about, I've been talking to a lot of international writers in this podcast, and mm-hmm. it is true there are more voices now and more voices being discovered by inter- internationally, which mm-hmm. previously wouldn't have even been on the radar because the voices were only English-speaking, from English-speaking countries. But there are two ways to, to do this. One is to say, I'm, I'm from Spain, from this village, and this is my background, which you don't know anything about, but I'm doing something specific to this place and to my traditions. For example, Spain could be anything. Mm-hmm. And the other approach is to say, I don't belong anywhere. I have no traditions. And I'm just writing a human thing. And those are opposite. I think they converge, actually. They converge in some, you know, in a very interesting way. Because you can't really write, you know, human in general. You are informed by your background. I'm informed by, you know, by the Sarah, I'm informed by having lived in Israel. You know, some of my stories, for example, one of the stories I wrote recently, it's uh, for a collection called the Jewish Book of Horror, uh, which is not the Bible, but the Jewish Book of Horror. So it's informed by, you know, history of uh, uh, Russian Jew, for example. So you are a product of your background, but if this background is more cosmopolitan and more kind of checkered and more, you do bring up things which your audience may be unfamiliar with. And it speaks to a wide range of people, you know, who may not uh, know those histories or those, you know, traditions which inform you and who are eager to discover it. So speaking, you know, human, yeah, we're all human beings. So I would say that this uh, local mindset and global mindset eventually intersect because eventually you have to speak to a global audience. You don't know online, you don't know who's buying your book, who's reading your book. So um, you have to manage somehow this balance between 
a general human interest because we're all human beings, but also bringing in something that your readers are not familiar with and readers do appreciate it. You know, uh, there is a whole new audience out there, people who are simply tired of, you know, orcs and elves and elves and orcs and the same thing over and over again. Thank you so much to Ilana. I enjoyed that interview a lot. All of Ilana's links are in the show notes, so check them out. Next time, because there's always a next time, we are going to the heart of Europe to learn about collecting and writing comics through the lens of a collector. I promise it'll be interesting. I will see you then. What did you think about this episode? Email me at guy.hasson at geekdomimpowers.com. Hasson is spelled H-A-S-O-N. The website is geekdomimpowers.com, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, geekdomimpowers. If you want to check out my other podcast, the Squash Bucklet Diaries podcast, it is a fantasy story like nothing you've ever seen, whatever you imagine when you hear that, it's not that. Also, within the context of what we talked about, it is written by a person who does not feel he belongs anywhere. Uh, so you can listen to that with that perspective and realize something about the story. So feel free to check that out. It's called The Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time. And for now, have an empowered day.